fourth verse of the seventh chapter of St. Luke <coughs> down to and including the 35th verse. Seventh chapter of St. Luke. I ask your indulgence tonight and you uh, say a word of prayer for us. We've battled the flu also, nausea and sore throat. So I'm going to do my best to not get too excited tonight and uh, see if I can uh, and get by and slide through here tonight with your prayers. 24th verse, And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with a wind. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they are which gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, Among those that are born of woman, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, for he that is least, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. And the Lord said, Whereunto shalt Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation, and to what are they like? They are likened to children sitting in the marketplace, and calling one to another, and saying, We have piped unto you, you have not danced. We have mourned to you, and you have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath the devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of all her children. Father, we thank you tonight for the reading of your word. Pray, Father, that you would establish it within our heart. Might we clearly recognize, Master, what you want to say to us tonight. We give you the praise in your name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated, and we want to talk to you tonight about a very, maybe strange subject, but still it's one that we need to take notice of. And that is the disposable man in a non-involvement society. I thought as Sister Wilma was testifying, it sometimes verifies what God wants in our life. Now, in all the readings that we just read, some of the main things that we see, of course, is the testimony against the Pharisees. But I think in that we fail to see that Jesus is describing a type of non-involvement society. A society where there is no life or no interest whatsoever and one that's lived in selfishness. As he looks at this generation and he says, now this generation is likened to children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and said, we have piped into you and you haven't danced and we've moaned to you and you haven't wept. And then he says, John the Baptist comes eating and drinking and or John the Baptist comes not eating and drinking and you say he hath the devil and then Jesus comes and does both of them and you say he's a gluttonous man 
In other words, there was no pleasing this society simply because they wasn't concerned about getting involved in anything. And so when you just disregard anything that is happening or going to happen, then you don't get involved in it. It doesn't become real to you. And we have evolved, I suppose, if you want to use that word, into a society that is very similar to the society that Jesus was describing. We're living, of course, in a very modern scientific and technological world. I'm sure that's no surprise to you. And our American know-how and our American genius is very fascinating, and yet it's very dangerous, too. And I'm wondering sometimes, and I was challenged with this, is really how much we really know about the little things that is happening in our society and what is uh, being handed down to us in our society. And those little things are making us uh, non-involved in what is happening. It's making things easier for us, and it's making us more self-sufficient and because of that, then, there's no need, we feel like, to get involved with society as such. I was looking over some little tidbits, and I was wondering if I pass it on, did you know that Sears and Roebuck has already marketed what they call a stingless bee so that people can have honey and keep bees without getting stung and without having go through the, all the problems that there is in extracting honey? That's very fascinating, isn't it? And they have. And uh, people want the honey, but they don't want the involvement to get the honey. Right. And, uh, <laughs> of course, that's one of the latest ones. There's several other breakthroughs of what we call this nothing generation. We have the uh, fuzzless peach, and we have the seedless grape, and we have the odorless booze, and <laughs> on and on you could go of what science has developed. Now, we get our eyes upon the big things and fail to realize the development of what is happening to keep us from getting involved. And all these that I just named serve the same basic purpose and the same function as uh, the stingless bee. They relieve man of the need to come to grips with nature. And he devises schemes to keep the peach fuzz off his chin, <laughs> all right, and to keep the seeds out of his appendix, and to keep his neighbors from knowing that he drinks. And all of this, the involvement, and the goal is of a nothing generation. That's what Jesus was describing here, a nothing generation. And uh, it, the goal of that is to make it possible for those that are non-interested to get through life without any involvement whatsoever or any contribution to that life. Now, we've got it easy when we look around and see, and we ourselves, and I think it was already testified, and most of us are guilty, we ourselves are not involved with individuals because of uh, breakthroughs of science and so on, and little things that has allowed us to sit in our homes without getting involved with the world out there. And so we bear children, and we bring these children in this generation diapered in a disposable diaper, and uh, they're nourished from a disposable bottle, and on and on you can go. He grows up and he goes to painless dentist, and he wears glasses that you can't see, and he and his family live in a, a small down payment house and exist through the miracle of credit cards and charge now and hope you can pay later uh, individuals. And all of this goes on and on and on we could go in a society that is failing to get involved with the precious things of God. And for amusement, 
We sit in an air-conditioned home, <laughs> all right, dehumidified air, and we can just uh, breathe it, and we can uh, turn on the television and watch non-actors, and I should call them non-actors because I don't think any of them can act. You take the sex out of their acting and the uh, innuendos that they have, and they have uh, not one, one uh, slightest bit of, uh, of uh, performance in them, and we watch them perform non-dramas, which there's no reason to what they're doing, and uh, uh, they talk about non-people and all of this. And then in the midst of all of this, while we're sitting there in our own home, and we're watching all this stuff that doesn't make any sense after it's all over with. It contributes nothing to society. And in the midst of all of this, every ten minutes we get an added bonus. How many of you know what that is? All right, everybody's got a television, knows what it is. Uh, we get to learn through, through our commercials how to take the miseries out of Wars Day. All right, you just have all types of things that makes Wars Day a happy time. Where the housewife just goes skipping through the house, uh, dust a little dab of whatever it is uh, in their clothes and just turn on the washer and just let it do its job. And then all at once they can get it out, throw it in the dryer, and all of this. And they learn how to take the misery out of wash day, learn how to take the odors out, out of their living room, learn how to make a he-man out of a 96-pound weakling. You can see all of that. You can raise muscles by just taking your vitamins and eating Wheaties and all of those things. And uh, you learn how to extract a real gorgeous, good-looking girl out of a soda pop bottle. All you go is flip the tab, and here it comes, all of this out of a non-involvement society and takes the challenge even out of opening a can of peaches or anything like that. you got the electric can opener snapping in there, and there it is, no problem. And even I can cook. Amen? Can you, Brother Gary? Even I can cook. I can open a can. I was talking to Brother Gary, I think, during Christmas dinner, and I asked him if he could cook. He said, hey, I can open a can. I do a good job of that. And I can open a can, too. But I'm talking about a society that really we don't get involved in. And we have all the convenience that there is there, and the essence of this non-life. It is non-life. You're not involved. If you're not involved, you're living a non-life. It's a life that God didn't intend for us to live. But it's a non-involvement. Non and the beauty of non-living is that it makes non-life so easy and creates so much leisure for our non-existence. And on and on you could go. And much of this has taken the last element of curiosity about what goes on in this world out of the life of humanity. In other words, we have our ease at Zion. A lot of us have our, a lot of you, I'll say, some of you, have your water beds where it makes you feel like you've been on a, a cruise the night as you just lay down there and it just flops around and you've been on a cruise at night and you wake up, you're good and refreshed and sometimes your coffee pot comes on and you got coffee before you get out of bed. Our automatic switch turns your heat on and all of this and there you are just enjoying all the comforts of life and then you can run off to work about five minutes before it's time to go to work and you're there and then you go to work and you're not involved with everything else and you come back home and sit in your house and you're not involved in anything that's going on. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about a society that Jesus Christ described here as children in the marketplace. In other words, all they thought about was their own. All they thought about was doing their own thing and so what else 
do we have in this society and uh, how much more not involved are we going to be able to get and this generation that's following us or is here now going to be able to get in America. We already have one a, a workless job. In other words, for the most part, a generation, the younger generation, don't want to work if there's any work involved to it, but they do want the money that's put out there. So we do have a, a workless job already developed. And then we've got the dispensable morality. It's a morality you can just throw that away. And then you've got the disposable conscience where you can just dispose of your conscience and do your thing. Go to your highest medical advisors. Go to your psychologists. Go to your psychiatrist, I dare you, and they'll tell you to relieve you uh, of your inhibitions. Just do your thing. Just do what you feel like doing, and that'll relieve you of all your anxieties and all your problems. You see all the breakthroughs that we've got, all the modern conveniences we've got, all the abilities to be non-involved with anything else, and take nothing as far as we are concerned for ourselves. And all of these are old hat. So about all that we're looking for is really the disposable man. Amen? That disposable part of humanity. And such a man that we're talking about that is probably on the scene now, probably has been on the scene for quite some time, is going to be able to pass from his disposable diapers on through this life with all the disposable things he has and go to a disposable coffin and leave no trace of his existence except in the state that he leaves to his disposable children. All because he's failing to get involved with God and with this world as he's supposed to. Alright? Now perhaps I said all of this on a, a edge of humor a little bit but yet nevertheless the truth I might sound just a little bit sarcastic and maybe a little bit pessimistic, but I mean to sound that way. Because what is needed today, and especially among our young people, is a new emphasis on living, a new emphasis on God, a new emphasis on morality, a new emphasis on enthusiasm about doing something that would better shape this world that you and I are living in. More emphasis on good Christian everyday habits and everyday living and some enthusiasm about life and about their contribution to life. If there's one thing I've noticed in working around young people and most of the individuals I work with in Faith Farm and some of them that I've counseled, other have been of a younger generation. If there's one thing I have noticed that they feel like as if they need to make no contribution to their society. They feel as if everything ought to be laid at their feet. Everything at their doorstep. For the most part, and I told my children this, they want in one year of marriage life what it took me 30 years to be able to gain. Friend, in other words, I'm saying we need to get involved in a society and realize that somebody contributed to that society to give us what we've got and we need to contribute something to it too. And we can't do it by leaving God out of it. And we can't do it by dwelling in the sanctuary of our own home. We become disposable men, women, boys, and girls that way. This generation needs more than just 
uh, sit-ins and walkouts and protests and marches and needles and sniffers and dope and alcohol and all of these things that's put down. It needs a good old solid introduction to old time Holy Ghost power of God in their life that would shake them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. And friend, it needs more than moms and dads patting them on the back and giving them all the little things of this life. They need to learn how to work for it and where it comes from. In other words, they need to be taught how to get involved in a society. And a lot of them don't know because parents won't let them know. We seal them. We make sissies out of them. All right? Oh, they may be rough. They may be tough out here outwardly. But inside, they've never been shown how to get along in a rough world. They've never been shown how to take themselves by the bootstraps and raise them up. They've never been shown how important it is to have God in their life, have God in their work, and have God in their schools, and have God in their everyday living. And because of that, they have become a society that has not got involved with God. A generation that, well, started back in the 60s, didn't it? You know why there were so many sit-ins and still are some of them? Children don't do anything else to do. A lot of just don't like something. We just walk out. And we'll protest it. Or we'll have a march. And then if I can't handle it that way, I'll escape society by jamming a needle in my vein and get me a little dope and get me out of reality. And if I can't handle it that way, then I'll just get me some alcohol. I will escape society and his responsibilities. And a lot of this is brought on because children have nothing better to do. Amen, Brother Hoska. We have not realized they need to become involved in society. We need to provide them as best we can. But we don't need to shield them from the dangers out here and the responsibilities of growing up. And we need to make them realize that they are responsible for their life. Go to a psychiatrist and lay down on his couch. He'll never tell you you're responsible for your life. He'll never tell you you're responsible for where you're at. He'll dig down as far as he can and go to grandma and grandpa and on farther back. But he'll find somebody else to blame for your predicament you're in. And where God puts sin where it belongs in our life and makes us realize we are the only ones responsible for our lives. And we need to be taught to have an involvement in God. Amen? To show this world out. What I'm saying is this. And I've noticed the world around, and I've traveled quite a bit, and I'm looking around, and I've talked to my wife about this. I'm trying to find out where the young ministers are in this day and age that's going to take over when us older ones have left the scene. I know where they're at. Sitting in well-furnished churches. I can find them there for you. Sitting there content to preach maybe once a month, if that often. Content to take their seat in the pew and do nothing else. Our churches are dying. Individuals out here is wanting churches, but they can't offer them their $2,000 a month or $500 a week 
or so like that, but they want them already established, already built, without any project of their own, without any involvement of the society for themselves. Brother Hoskow, what are you saying? I'm saying we're living in a day and age of the disposable man, where we can just dispose of him and the world would never miss him. God's church was never intended to be that way. And God's people was never intended to be that way. And so this generation needs to recapture. We need to recapture. And the younger generation comes uh, needs to recapture the vision. What's it all about anyway? What's this salvation all about? Friend, it's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of a man called Jesus that got involved in society and got involved in our life. That's what it's all about. And people have lost the vim and vigor of their service of God. And they need some involvement and some purpose for life. I suppose, I don't know how many thousands of teenagers commit suicide every year. I'd like to ask you, why do they do that? I think the all answer is this. They've never known what it's like to contribute to society. They've never known what it's like to get involved with everyday living. And very few of them have ever heard about the involvement that Christ can have in their life. And so they have nothing left and they become disposable. In other words, as, long as, as far as man is through with him, then he disposes of him and he leaves no mark in this life. I'm talking about a disposable age of disposable men and women that have never made their itch upon their or itch upon this world, have never become involved in this thing, and they live and they die without ever knowing what it is. And I'm going to say it again what we need as a church. And the generation coming up is to recapture a vision of not only where we've been, but a vision of where we're going. Hallelujah. And what's ours when we get there? And pass that vision on until they become so excited about that and it becomes more involved and they want to get involved in that. I was reading about uh, Nitsky who was a philosopher in the 1800s. And he looked down into the 1900s where he, we live, and he saw society kind of like it was described, Jesus described it, as people just sitting in a marketplace with nothing better to do, and piping to one another, and moaning to one another, and all of this, and criticizing, and so on. He never got involved in anything. And he said in the 1900s, humanity would be what he termed a herd morality. Now he explained that. He said that means that man drifts like cattle and he's herded by the moralities of others and a neat little corral, corrals of values and ideals. In other words, what's set before him he accepts without question. Nobody to stand up against it. Nobody to sound out to cry. And he does not think for himself because he don't have to. Somebody else is doing the thinking for him and he doesn't decide anything for himself. It's already decided for him. All right? 
And he characterizes this man by living by a newspaper inspiration. That's to say he lives by inspirations given yesterday. I want to tell you something tonight. I appreciate the inspired Word of God that my dad preached. I appreciate the old General Baptists that used to fall under the power of God's Holy Ghost and they carried them home in wagons. I appreciate that inspiration of those generations. But friend, I can't live on that. I need an inspiration of my own. Hallelujah. I need power of myself in the, inside of me. And friend, your children and the ones we're bringing up can't live on the inspiration we have given. They need an inspiration of themselves. They need an experience with God themselves. My dad, I suppose, one of the hardest things he ever said to me one time was, Son, you can't go to heaven on my experience. And I really thought I could. Dad was a good man, and Mom was a good woman, and Dad was a good minister, one of the best in southern Illinois. And I thought, because of that, surely he's inspired enough that he could carry me with of its own. It doesn't have any ideas of its own. All it's got is what's been more or less passed down to them. I don't know what I'm blaming this society. I don't know whether I'm blaming husbands and wives. But someplace, somewhere, there's a missing element. And we have failed to touch the palate of this generation and make them realize that they owe society something. And they owe God something. We can't do it ourselves. This man's attitudes, he goes on to say, this generation's hopes and their dreams and their drives are just fleeting and they're changing. Just as changeable, he says, as the daily news. In other words, one day they're gung-ho about one thing, and the next day it's dead. They could care less. And then they get you know, all hepped up about something else. And then just like our weather, it changes from day to day, and they change from day to day. And you can't get a basic, solid society and contribution to individuals that change their attitudes day by day. You need some solidity and some solidness in lives. And an individual gets old enough, they need to know where they're going and what they're going to do and how much they owe society and how much they owe God. And that's parents' responsibility. Not only parents' responsibility, that's church responsibility. And we need an example. These type of individuals in this generation Jesus described generation we're trying to describe now uh, is afraid to be an individual. You know, all you hear, and when I was growing up, this is what you always heard. Be your own man. Be your own man. And it was a long time before I realized I had never been my own man. In other words, I had blended in with society. Had I had tried to be just like everybody else my age was and tried to do exactly what everybody else my own age was doing and yet somewhere somehow I was blinded into thinking I was my own man when I never had a good thought for myself whatever uh, my cohorts and my peers thought that's what I thought that's being passed down 
has no use us denying it. Very few individuals have the uh, intestinal fortitude or guts enough to step aside and separate themselves from their society and from their peers and start going another direction and be their own person. And this individual is chained and enslaved to what the majority is and what the majority says around him. Now, that's not just young people. That probably puts its arms around a lot of us. Because it's the easiest thing in this world to be like everybody else. You don't want to be a sore thumb. You don't want to be an oddball. You don't want to be one of those type persons that sit over here just, just look at you. You're so different. You don't want to be that. So why don't you just blend in? and become non-involved. And when you do, you become disposable. You're not needed. They just throw you away because you're not an individual. And this is the attitude of a lot of people that believe in God, enslaved by what the majority says. The pull is so strong. Friend, you look at it. It's all over the world. You watch the pull of this world take good young people as well as old out of the house of God with an experience and pull it out into this world. Because they're chained to something. They're afraid to be an individual. They're afraid to be their own person. And because of the ever-increasing views of the humanists, and, of course, the God-is-dead proponents, individuals won't get involved. I had some experiences when my kids was growing up. So many of the books wasn't fit to read. Easy for them just to say, oh, well, I know better than that. I don't pay attention to it. I'll read it anyway. And then I'll just get my grade and what have you. But they become like everybody else. Don't stand out here and don't be different. Just be like everybody else. And then parents themselves say, I'll just go ahead and do it. It doesn't really matter. You know better than that. And it's not going to hurt you one bit whatsoever. And so we just don't get involved. And so what seems like such a little thing, a seed's planted into the heart of a tender age. And it grows and it should never have been there. Introduce the language. I told the English teacher, where my children was taking English, why should I? Allow my children to read in a book and read words that they never hear around my house. It's not easy to get involved. It's not easy for them to see a boy come down the uh, quarters of the school and know what he's after. Say, there comes that preacher again. He's got another bee in his bonnet about something. I friend, there should be a lot of bees and a lot of parents' bonnets about things that's going on. But we're a non-involved society. Let it slide. And because of non-involvement, there's a non-life, non-existence. It's just as if we wasn't even here. It's just as if there was no voice. And they like it that way. But I'd like to get to this. Isn't this that I've been talking about just the very thing that Jesus fought against? and lived far and worked with men far is to get them out of this non-involvement that they're in? Isn't this why he walked as an example contrary to every law, so to speak, that the Jews set forth? 
and was not afraid to stand up and tell them, he got involved. He made his mark on society. He continually fought against the rising tide of non-involved matters concerning decency and concerning righteousness and insisted that man get involved about such things as decency, redemption, and salvation that makes men great and keeps men great. That's why you've always had great men. It's because they believed in the redemptive plan of salvation and God. Perfect illustration of what Jesus thought about this society is made aware to us when Jesus is found I don't remember offhand where it is but I'm sure you could find it as Jesus begins to wind his way from the hall of Pilate after he'd been condemned to the brink of Calvary and Jesus is weary and Jesus is exhausted and he falls under the weight of his wooden burden the cross on him a man called Simon Serini is compelled to carry his cross. As the procession slowly moves along, Jesus hears some muffled cries and sobs from some of the people in the crowd. These were people that didn't get involved. These are disposable individuals. Individuals that the world would never have known they're there. They were born, they lived, they died, and made no mark upon the world or on their society at all. And Jesus turned to them and he said some words that really gripped my heart. I think he addressed the women because women are usually more tender-hearted than men. But I'm sure there was men standing there with tears in their eyes. I'm sure there were some of his followers that were standing there watching that procession go on that just more or less said to themselves, and I thought this was the Christ. And even whenever they saw him like that, they loved him, but they didn't love him enough to get involved. They didn't love him enough to say anything. They didn't love him enough to come up and say, Master, I'm going to stay with you regardless. They didn't love him that much. And so he was walking and he turned around after he heard those crying and mourning, and he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Don't cry for me, but you cry for yourselves and your children. Because these days that's going to come on is terrible and times that you would rather be dead than alive because of your non-involvement. And it seems to me like Jesus is actually saying, don't try for me. Because you see, I've chosen. I've chosen to enter into this struggle. I've chosen to enlist. I've chosen to make my mark on this world. I've chosen to stand for what's good and stand against what's evil. I've made my choice. Don't try for me. Because of that, I've found life and I've found purpose and i find the meaning that I'm here for. You see, Jesus being flesh still had to find the purpose of his life. And when he found out he had to get involved with this world, he got involved in it. And when he had found out he had to make a choice between good and evil, he made the choice. And that choice cost him his life. And he's standing there saying, don't cry for me. Cry for yourself. I've got involved in this thing. And even though it takes the cross of Christ, even though I'm going to be crucified, at least I'll know that my life has not been lived in vain. I have accomplished something. 
You might say, well, I'm not Christ. No, we're not, but we are his children. We are his chosen, and we can make a mark on society, especially our world, our families, on our jobs and our schools. If we care to get involved in it, the generation of that day made a terrible mistake. They thought if they ridded themselves of Jesus, they'd rid themselves of the cause for which he stood. He was the proponent of all of this. He was the leader of this insurrection so to speak, that's what they accused him of. But all he was doing was trying to turn Israel back to God. He was trying to make them realize he was the promised one, their redeemer, the one they'd cried and prayed for and were still crying for. And they still crucified him. And they thought if we can just get rid of this Beelzebub, this devil, if we can just get rid of this uh, man that is so out of it that he thinks he's God, and thanks he's our sight. If we can get rid of him, then we're going to get rid of the condemnation that he brings on us. And we're going to be free to be non-involved again without anybody condemning us. See, that's why a lot of people don't like good old-fashioned hard preaching. Amen? It's because it either makes them get involved or it condemns them, one of the two, and they have no rest either way. It changes or is supposed to change our lifestyle. I realize a lot of us can come, sit under the anointing of God, and sleep. Have no problem. <laughs> and a lot of us can stand there with a blank stare on our face. And sometimes you wonder if you really realize what's going on. But some come realizing that their life needs to be challenged. And if we're not careful, and if it's not challenged, we'll enlist in a non-involved generation. But friend, you can't stop a movement by stopping a man. <laughs> when they crucified Jesus, they just set this thing on fire. Hallelujah. And then whenever they got a hold of the church and, and started persecuting it and, and pardon me, killing those that uh, uh, they felt was proponents of the gospel, it just caused it to spread like wildfire. And friend, this thing has been persecuted. It's been through the water and it's been through the fire and individuals it has been killed and it's still alive. Because you don't stop something good when you kill one man. You get one man off the scene and there'll be another two to take his place. Movements for goods just stopped one way. And that's what Jesus was trying to get us to see. And that's the danger that we're living in now. They're simply stopped when the ideals and the values of this movement die in the hearts of living individuals. In other words, when they can't find inspiration from, for themselves from God and what God is all about and what living today is all about and the motives of Christianity and the values of Christianity and the ideals of the Lord Jesus Christ begin to die in the heart of living individuals, then the movement can be stopped. That's why God cries aloud to church to awaken. It's high time for us to wake out of our sleep realizing that our redemption draweth nigh. In other words, to get a movement within our heart. Religiosity in America is at an all-time high, but that's religiosity. That's religion. But the tragedy of the hour is that a lot of us 
A lot of us are content to be spectators standing on the sidelines with a tear in our eyes and a moan in our voice watching the decay and destruction process go on in the world. And hardly ever raise a voice against it. All tears stream down our eyes as we look at it and we think, Oh God, what is this world coming to? While we stand idly by, we sleep in our disposable houses. <laughs> all right. We arise and get all the modern conveniences. We go to our job. We come back home. We, uh, Sister uh, uh, said we, Sister Harper said we rub elbows with individuals and all of this. And there's a moaning cry in our heart and a tear runs down our cheek. But still, for some reason, we stand idly by on the sidelines and let this decaying process of our generation go on and on and on until one generation raised up by another becomes weaker and weaker and weaker and the experience and value of the power of the Holy Ghost disintegrates into nothing. What I'm asking, friend, is where... Where is the fire that the power of the Holy Ghost used to bring in lives? Where is the change immediately that used to be there? Where's the spark of decency that arose in the heart of man where he couldn't stand to see sin encroach upon the values of humanity? Where is it at? It's slowly decaying into the hearts of the disposable man in a non-involved society. We're too willing. I need to quit. No, I don't. I need to tell you what I feel. And then I've unloaded and I've left it with you. And you can walk out of here and continue to do your same old thing. Same song, second verse, if you want to. But I've done what I felt like needs to be done. We're too willing to settle for a life of non-involvement. Passing from disposable diapers to disposable coffins without coming to grips with the main purpose of our life. In other words, why were you born? Why was you brought into this life? Why was you birthed in misery? Why did mom and dad spend access hours and moments to keep you living? What was the purpose for you to get involved in a society and get an experience with God that made your existence worth being here? Our existence is to give glory to God. It's to bring God to men. And it's to bring men to God. So all I have to say and what you need to say for individuals that's bystanders is tell them not to weep for you. Don't cry for you if you're an oddball. Don't weep for you because you found the meaning of life. Individuals that fail to get involved will never know the true meaning of life. Oh, you may escape some life's toils by not getting involved. You may escape some ridicule and some mocking through some hardships. You may escape getting your feelings hurt, but you'll never know the grandeur and splendor of living. 
You'll never know what it is to really have life and that more abundantly. You'll never know the thrill of getting involved with Jesus Christ, of taking a stand for God, and a feeling that you have at least tried. I've been a lot of places and done a lot of things, and it seems like my mark has not been of no value whatsoever. And I can't see any value that I have been. But I get a certain peace and a comfort inside of me to know that I at least had given a whirl. I can't change the schools. They've still got the same books they had when my kids went to school. I didn't change them, but I at least tried. I put my mark on society. I at least let them know where I stood. Other places I've been, I've not changed anything. <laughs> Maybe I've made it worse if anything else. But there's a certain sense uh, of pride inside of you to know that at least I got up off of my seat and quit complaining about it and made some effort to do something about it. Tried my best to contribute to God's cause. Millions of people in America have already lived and died, and they've never found a cause bigger than themselves. Is that all right? I mean, the biggest cause they've ever had for living is for themselves. They've never progressed beyond that. They've never realized that they owed society something. They owed their neighbor something. They, they owed their community something. But they've come, they've lived, they've died, they struggled. Just themselves is all they had in their mind. Millions are living now, are dying today without knowing the glory of just being involved in building the kingdom of God. Really don't know what it's like just to give up their time in order to spread some peace among other individuals not as fortunate to be as wise about God as you are. What's really needed in closing more than anything else is left less emphasis on the thoughts and on the things that this American know-how provides us and more in the life of him who came, suffered, bled, and died, got involved, stood alone, and found out his purpose in life and lived it to his fullest, and died and rose again. That same power that indwelt him indwells us. And when we receive this, and when this becomes our foremost thought, then we pass from the disposable man to the indestructible man where nothing can destroy him, where the death can take him and worms destroy this body. And Job said, yet in my flesh I'm going to see God. He's indestructible. But we do have to get involved. We have to get involved in more ways, I think, than most of us have ever dreamed we should get involved. Life passes us by. Churches disintegrate. Revival fires uh, are reduced to ashes. Desires to see souls saved have come and went. We still fill, fill our place in the society, so to speak, and we still, still take our seat in the church, and we still feel the presence of God, but we're still disposable if we haven't reached society and haven't cared about the world around us. It's just as if we had never lived, passing through this life, having no greater purpose than just us. 
living for us in selfishness, passing by individuals in their struggles, refusing to get involved. That's sad for the outside world, but it's sadder yet for the Christian world. How long has it been since this young lady, it's been years, since this young lady was taken by two or three men, assaulted and raped, while numerous individuals watched, didn't even call the police. Non-involved society. Now that's bad. But how many souls, spiritually speaking, has been taken by the powers of hell and spiritually raped and mutilated? taken from us crying for help all at the same time and we don't want to get involved we better think saints because I don't know about you but I don't want to be a disposable man I don't want to come into this life disposable diapers and leave in a disposable coffin and never leave a mark of any kind on humanity I want this to stand Will you stand with me? This seems to be a habit, I guess. And I wonder sometimes of what value it is, but you know, I think it would be good if we just gather around the altar and let what God has said to us tonight, if it's possible at all, to soak into us. We're not going to make a change overnight, but we are, or should, or we must begin to realize that humanity needs us more than it ever did. The world's dying. Only life there is is Christ. Would you just come? We don't need any music. Just come and stand before the Lord. And if you don't know how to get involved, ask God. If you really want to know how, He'll tell you. Hallelujah. Thank you. You want to kneel? Whatever. Stand, whatever you want to do. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you tonight. Jesus, we do pray. God, you should take us tonight and make us realize that you've called us into your glorious kingdom for a purpose. Father, we have a reason for living. Oh, God, a reason for being here. And God, all we can do is just humbly say, Master, here we are. Maybe we don't know the next step to take, Lord. Lord. 